When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Movies That Made Me, with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. But it does, it gives you a kind of aggressive quality. My wife looks like... Yeah, you look like Oliver Reed. A little bit, yeah. Or like devil, so after he gets burned. Oh, good. Yeah. good, good. <laughs> I, I like to think I look like the guy in prison you're supposed to beat up on your first day. You know that You know that trope. You find yeah, the biggest, it. scariest looking dude and you beat the shit out of him. <laughs> but uh, uh, yes, well, Jonathan, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm even more honored now than I was when you first asked me because literally everyone I know in the business when I say I'm doing this gets excited. I've never been a podcast person, so I'm not that plugged in. But like, er, you know, er, last night I was with a friend of mine who's a director, and I said I'm doing. Hey, like everyone listens to this podcast, that, that, except apparently I didn't know about it, and now I've I've been listening. Well, we should watch what we say. Well, that's kind of like me and Warrior because I when when Warrior was on Cinemax, <laughs> I, I somehow overlooked it. Not somehow. <laughs> it was you know, and it wasn't until Josh turned me on to it that I started watching it on HBO Max, where I understand now it's it's among the most popular things that they have. Yeah, it's flourishing. Now it's two it's two two years too late to be able to make any more of them. But it's well, a we're we're, we're, show. we're actually trying. We're 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 talking to them about making another season. No, it's a terrific yeah. show. It's got Jeez. great characters. Jeez. It's really well art directed, and the Thank photography you. is excellent. Thanks. Yeah, we we did what we could for three million an episode, right? Yeah, it looks great. The writing, the writing doesn't stink either. I would say, Joe, he's a writer. He's a writer, Joe. You're yeah, it's okay. I, Joe, I Joe has a writer on and talks about how great the production is. <laughs> no, but listen, I take pride. I take pride in all of it. I take pride in all of it. Yeah. That's the beautiful thing about being the Sherman is you can literally take pride and credit for all of it. That's right. The um, and the blame though. That's the problem. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, we 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 uh, we we glommed on a warrior, Nancy and I finished it all in god knows you know a week or something and now, um, are you sure you've seen the whole thing Josh? what have i missed i don't know you thought you saw the whole banshee too oh yeah well no i was <laughs> gonna get to that and then i was like oh you know she would enjoy banshee it's like there's certain things where i was like i don't know if she'll go for it she loved warrior i was like we should do banshee and and um what happened was uh and i like to think i i have this power so you can thank me gentlemen is uh, you couldn't find banshee anywhere and and so uh, I I I went out and I, Look at I, bought, that. I mean I love hard media. The day they arrived, it popped up on HBO Max. Now <laughs> I would have I would have bought these those anyway. Are nice. Those are pretty though. Yeah, I, but remember they're... HBO Max won't be with us forever, and you'll have those until they rot. Exactly. No, that's why I like hard media. <laughs> I will say the box. I got the box over there. The box is terrible. It's just a funny. Not that Anthony Starr is an attractive man, but it's just a headshot of 
Is it the one with the, with the blue uniform and the rifle? Is that the that's the box of the box set? I don't. Nobody sent me this. They used to send me. Yeah, I actually kind of like that because we that was never used for any other marketing of the show, and he looks kind of badass there. But yeah, but come on, look at these. They got this beautiful artwork. So I said that, that artwork. I'm I'm the plea because I was brand new to television and. They sent me the movie poster for the first season of Banshee, and I looked at it and I said, "No, no, 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 no! That's all wrong. That's all wrong. That makes it look like you know there's been a vi- uh, a murder in a quaint seaside hamlet, and you know uh, Agatha Christie, what's her name, is going to come uh, solve it, and you know." And I didn't understand. First of all, I didn't have the reference that this was um, this. It was a tribute to to an older. Uh, Artists, I forgot who the artist was that, that that was sort of a knockoff of who had done movie posters in the in the sixties. Oh, um, but also, you know, I'm the only one, and I objected to it, and everyone else was like, I just got overruled by everybody. And, and good, wow. good, yeah, no, it, it was very distinct at the time. It was probably what there was something about it that just. Um, I just felt it didn't convey what the show was, and and if you saw a big billboard of it, you didn't know if you were a fan of action or a pulp, you you weren't going to look at that and go, oh, that's something I got. I, I will say, I think it's what made me check it out the first time. I think it was because it was just, it looked different, you know, because you're like Cinemax, ah, well, you know, it could be kind of dopey, but, but this, this, it seemed to cut above. But, but yeah, Banshee's an amazing. And then watching it, I was like, somehow I, I had been, I don't know where I was, what was going on. I had, I had very much enjoyed the first season and then had never watched the rest of the show. So we plowed through all four seasons of Banshee, which I should say for people who are concerned about these things. Hopefully, Warrior comes back, but if it does not, you're not left hanging in a bad way if you watch the two seasons that are on now. That's exactly the opposite of my argument to HBO Max. Oh, okay. Well, I'll delete that then. Yeah, it's terrible. You're left no, hanging. Like, we, have, no, we have all these I just questions. Keep saying, like, we just did The Empire Strikes Back, and you got to let me do Return of the Jedi because I left everybody, you know, hanging in space. <laughs> well, actually, you know, but, but for viewers, you know, we can tell. Yeah. But, uh, and then Banshee, you guys went out on your own terms because it's it, we decided to end it actually. Beginning, we middle, and end. Yeah. We're supposed yeah. to do a fifth season, and we decided as we came into the writers' room for the fourth that the story was over. Um, which already four seasons of milking the premise of a cop who's stolen an identity. You know, I didn't. Yeah. The shelf life of that was limited to begin with. So. Yes. Well, I'm glad you know that because um, it is one of those things that you get more anxious about as time goes on with some things. Um, yeah, I couldn't see you doing 13 seasons of that. that would be- no, and also I just—I never wanted to be canceled. I always, you know, and with Warrior, we've never been been canceled with Warrior. Cinemax just stopped making right. shows. Right, right. But, so I haven't had that experience yet of getting the phone call that says we're not bringing you back. Um, but uh, I just didn't want to get canceled. And I, I also we had such a quiet but ra- we had a small but rabid fan base. These are the kind of shows that when they're on Cinemax, like a small group finds them and then feels like. They have to power them, right? And I did not want to be there when they turned on. Like if we, if we just if we had done a fifth season, it would have started to feel like the Brady's go to Hawaii. You know, it just would have been, <laughs> you know, we'd have been coming up with stories to just keep the characters moving. And, and right, I was terrified to do that. Oh, you know what it is? I should I should shout out to uh, my friend Will Meneker, who has been on our show, uh, a host of Chapo Trap House. He's the one who turned me on to Warrior. That's where um, somehow I had uh, uh, so. Um, yeah, but it's it's uh, it's an amazing show. Uh, they're both amazing shows. They're both. Um, if Cinemax did programming like that regularly, yeah, we Banshee was the first, and Warrior was the last. So I, I like to think I kind of opened and shut the shop. You know? There you go. Exactly. 
have I, did I tell you, I, I, I might, are they still, what's going on? Are they still around? Are they, what's so going I, on? Right that? today they are around, but they're purely, they've got their library and they're much more about, you know, second run movies. Um, they're not making any more uh, programming. So I can't imagine the long-term, uh, long-term, I'm sure it gets swallowed up by something. Uh, yeah. But they're still around now. I just can't imagine who subscribes to it when there's nothing new to watch. Uh, yeah, my, my, I, I offer this to them for free. Uh, if any of them are listening, what they should do is change their name officially to Skinamax and they should show nothing but 80s R rated sex comedies. I think that would be, and then at 10 o'clock at night, they do 80s R rated erotic thrillers, just like pure, just turn into the brand. I think that would be. You know, that was actually my big fear because, you know, when I did Banshee, we sold it to HBO, not to Cinemax. Cinemax wasn't doing original programming then. Cinemax had then made the decision to do original programming and they came after Banshee, which was, we, were, we had written the pilot for HBO. Oh, and, um, and then Alan Ball, who was sort of shepherding me through the process, calls me up and goes, Cinemax wants the show. And I just kept thinking, Skinemax, I don't want to be on Skinemax. Like I, I wanted to be, you know, I wanted that little, that little static thing, yeah. HBO. And, oh. and, and he just said to me, they're giving us a 10 episode order without a pilot because you don't say no to that. And so we just went in and it turned out to be a fan. It was a fantastic experience creatively. It's just, I wish more people had Cinemax. That's all. Yeah. Well, now, now it's on HBO max and yes. um, uh, boys are worth, it's yeah. worth your, it's worth your time. Um, and uh, yeah, just, just wonderful stuff. I'm a huge fan. So thank you. Uh, and thanks for having me here. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure. But uh, yeah. So, so uh, uh, after, after sort of plowing through all that, I thought we should, we need to track this guy down and get him on the show. Cause I bet, I bet he likes movies. Yeah, very much. I mean, the goal originally, you know, when I got into screenwriting was to write movies. Sure. Um, and then, you know, I think I came just as it was really beginning to shift to television, you know, where all the exciting stuff was happening. But when I first started, you know, writing screenplays, my goal was, you know, to write a very different kind of movies, more like, you know, um, really family adventure type movies and also the, the, the Cameron Crowe, Jim Brooks type movies. And, and then I got to Hollywood just in time to find out they weren't going to make those anymore. So, uh, shifted over to TV, but yeah, no, I love movies. And, and, you know, talking about the movies that made me, I should just say, you know, to both of you that like, I have direct ties. I mean, you know, Joe, the, the, the stuff you directed when I was coming of age, like, you know, gremlins and inner space and all that, 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 that was part of deeply shaping my consciousness of what sort of those movies are and my deep regret that they stopped making them for a long while. <laughs> Mine too. Um, yeah. And, <laughs> um, and, you know, I just, we just wrapped a movie that I wrote um, called The Adam Project, which took me eight years to get made, which uh, they just shot in Vancouver starring Ryan Reynolds. And it is that, it is, it is basically going back to those, you know, 80s, family-friendly, fun adventures with heart. And, and it's my attempt to try to, help aid the rebirth of, uh, of those movies. But, um, those were great. And, and Josh, I think I already told you this, but you know, history of violence was probably the most often referenced movie when we were making Banshee and, and you could see the DNA of it all over the opening of Banshee. Pretty much every character in that show is, uh, yeah. is uh, lying about who they are and <laughs> yeah, has, has a history of violence, right? It's, yeah. But it was, it was something we referenced constantly in the writer. Oh, wow. I, I appreciate that. Developing that. Yeah. So I'm very honored to be here with you guys.
No, it's a thrill. And, and uh, I, I guess I sort of noticed that, but it wasn't until you said that that I was like, oh, yeah. But no, it was, even, it was there's even characters who aren't lying about who they are. Who, and I don't want to give anything away, but, you know, who eventually, like, third season, you're like, oh, my God, this guy's got a dark, a dark, violent past as well. It's, it, there's <laughs> literally only one character on the show who's sort of like the moral center, who, 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 who is who she says she is and what she is. And, of course, she ends up, you know, dying violently but, yes yes <laughs> just like life um yeah. yeah but there's literally one there's one character like yeah that. no it's it's kind um, of amazing um uh but uh, yeah no I'm, I'm 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 flattered and honored it's it's amazing stuff so and i, I just do want to mention because i don't want to geek out but i just want to mention that also inner space is, is definitely one of my favorite uh films from that era and i've shown it to all my kids of different ages and they all love it and that's that's one of the ones that just holds up it was it was a lot of fun Great. to make yeah actually. I really thought watching that movie that, that Dennis Quaid was going to be the next Harrison Ford. I was just sure mm-hmm. he headed in that way. And he, yeah. I think he thought so too. Yeah, he uh, made, well, he made different choices. I think he still had a great career, but you know, I no, he did, he, but he, he, he used to lament later when I would run into him about some of the choices that he had made because not because they didn't turn out well, but because they weren't successful, you know, yeah. financially. No, he, well, he actually became a slightly more diverse and interesting actor, but I just yeah. saw him going the, you know, Devil, devilish grin, action hero. Yeah, uh, yeah. And yeah. it was exciting to watch him. But that's just such a that movie holds up over and over again. It's great. Yeah. Well, thanks. Yeah. And it did, by the way. If you're if you're looking for past episodes, it's uh, it is how we got Martin Short on a while back, which was oh, uh, not that, that I'm not thrilled sense. to have you on, Jonathan. But, um, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> yeah, I think that was the first so, time. So, I was... so tell us where where did you where did you get the bug? Did you get it? from going to movie theaters when you were a kid yeah i was watching just tv yeah or what? i i was a huge 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 movie fan and you know the the most visceral memory i have is is being uh for movies is being seven years old uh when star wars came out um and i was in uh you know i lived in riverdale which was uh in the bronx and you know to go we didn't have a movie theater and so to go to movies my dad would take us into manhattan and I don't remember which theater it was, whether it was the Beekman or the Zigfield or one of the big Manhattan theaters, but it was one of the theaters where the curtain opened up as the movie started. And I just, and, and I had no idea what Star Wars really was because in those days you didn't get all the marketing before the movie, right? You right. didn't read Entertainment Weekly and, you know, and I just remember like the curtain opening up in the first, you know, a long time ago in the galaxy far away was actually over the rip, the ripples of the curtain. Uh. And, and then it opening up and the blast of that score and like just being blown away for the next two hours and i think that was just sort of one of the seminal moments of my childhood and and just always became a huge after that it was movies and and you know more movies than tv but i watched a lot of tv too and but any chance i got to and to this day any chance i get to go sit in a movie theater um i do even you know, even if you could see the movie elsewhere i just the ritual of going to the movies for me is is like temple it's just yeah it's true fantastic yeah, yeah. Yeah. I God, that's so funny. I haven't thought about that in a long time. But yeah, that that the thing with with curtains in a movie yeah. theater. So small, so simple. And yet, yeah, there's something kind of wonderful about that. Those those big theaters, they're you know, they're still there, but I don't know, you know, they seat so many people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's 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 difficult to make money with theaters that big. Yeah. I also there was something too about how like they they would close them again during uh, after the trailers. 
I never understood. And then later realized, oh yeah, and then they reconfigure the frame size. Yeah, yeah and then open yeah. it up again. That just made it feel like you were just stepping into something. Yeah. No, there was just really thing, important. You know, ushers in uniforms. And, you know, I mean, they still have that in, in LA. I, I haven't seen it in New York, but in LA, they still have it at the um, the Arclight theaters where, where right. the ushers come in and talk to you. And, and mm -hmm. there's always going to, I think, be people trying to preserve that magic while yeah. the rest of the industry tries to destroy it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. I miss the Chinese now. I got to go to the Chinese. Yeah. I guess they're open now, right, Joe? They're starting. I believe yeah. they are. Yeah. And they're, with their full IMAX screen. Hey, it's an amazing screen. I'm not going to knock it. But uh, but anyway, so Jonathan, yeah, like, let's talk about some of the movies that. Uh, so yeah, so I I this is a hard thing to do to to curate a list of ten movies. But I you 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 wanted me to really focus on not just the movies that made me, but the action movies that made me. So I would just give a disclaimer that there's two me's. There's the me who grew up on movies who loved everything from you know Star Wars, Rocky, Jerry Maguire. Terms of Endearment, uh, you know, those kind of movies, uh, you know, the Jim Brooks movies, all that. And then there's the me who was formed by all my video rentals and my, uh, you know, late night cable surfing. And, and yes. that's the me that led to Banshee and Warrior. And so I'm, I'm, I went to sort of the, the 10 or so action movies that really. Uh, oh, fantastic. Um, and, but one of them has overlap, which is the first one. I, I kind of went in age order because to me, to me, movies are really a snapshot of my own life and you sure. know, the, the age you were when you saw certain things and the visceral yeah. memories that come flooding back from where you were and who you were when you saw certain movies. So for me, the first one is absolutely Rocky. Um, and I'm sure I'm not the first person. Uh, actually, I was listening to Scott Atkins on your show and I know he picked Rocky too. Yeah, I know. Uh, I'm, I'm, I challenged but, him to do a fight but, over that, um, which was a terrible mistake. Yeah. No, I really don't <laughs> want to fight him. But uh but for me, you know, I actually saw Rocky II first because oh. I was I was pretty, you know, I like I was seven years old when Rocky came out, and that one I did not get to see in the theater. The first time I saw Rocky was on television, and uh, I watched it in my parents' bedroom because they had the color TV, and um, and just just you know what Stallone did, and I, I could do a whole dissertation on Stallone is he really redefined the personality of an action star which was something, you know, even though you couldn't relate necessarily to his physique, you could relate to that kind of, he was the action star as kind of a loser, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and, or a love or a guy who doesn't want to talk and wants to be left alone and is forced into it versus, you know, the John Wayne version or the Steve McQueen version or, or the guys, you know, everyone who came before him who were kind of like debonair, James Bondy action stars. Like to me, like Stallone was kind of like, it was this hidden power and you just couldn't wait to see it explode. And, and I think that everything that came after Stallone owes something to Stallone for, yeah. for the way you, you know, that kind of, that, that hidden, quiet, humble guy who just don't push him, you know, or don't, don't activate him. And, and Rocky just watching him go from like, the, you know, the thug with his bouncing ball in his hat to, to actually having the pure will to take on the champ. It was just like, you know, I, I probably know the entire movie by heart, but that was sure. definitely um the first one yeah that's such a i mean i'm from philadelphia i it's one of the first movies i saw by myself in a theater i, I, I can't remember why i feel like it was something we had to have all been looking forward to it i don't know but i remember i saw it on one of those theaters joe on rittenhouse square and i came out of the movie and i ran laps around rittenhouse square i was so pumped you're just like yeah oh and uh, uh, God, yeah, it's such a great film. It is such a great film. And um, it, when my know, son was little, 
um, I, I showed him all the movies and, and then at night after dinner, usually on Friday nights, we'd go down to the basement and we'd put on boxing gloves and we would like reenact the fights from each Rocky movie <laughs> by round, you know? And, uh, that was, yeah, he would always be Rocky, of course, but it was, uh, you know, we would do each, each, you know, okay, Rocky three now, clever Lang, we got to do it this way. He's going to lose in the first fight, but then we're going to go. <laughs> okay, you know, like, you know, we would do the whole thing, but yeah. So the, uh, I also remember there was a, Oh God, I caught, I think if I talked about this on the show before, Joe, I don't know. I, I, I caught heat. I remember doing a, a thing during history. There was uh, I think it was Philadelphia magazine. It was like, Hey, hometown boy makes good. And I did a thing with them. And I, I was so taken with how clever I was. I didn't think and caught so much heat. I, I talked about how much I love Philadelphia. Um, and you know, they have a statue of Rocky, yeah. uh, the Army's. and I said, I love Philadelphia. It's the only town that would build a statue to a guy who lost a fight. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still catch hell from friends for that, but it's, uh, <clears throat> but that, it's, it's I mean, such even a the way, even way he made the movie, even the way he got the movie made is a Rocky story. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. Just the yeah. whole thing. Um, and, and he comes back later in the list, but he just, he, um, you know, whatever anyone's criticisms are of Stallone's writing or his movies or his directing, yeah, he knew how to tap into something we all needed. He, he understood yeah. the need for a certain kind of hero and, and a certain kind of belief in yourself. And, 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 you know, and he nailed it over and over again. So. Yeah. 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 But that, that film, it's just, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. Yeah, my but guess I, is ever, I, everyone of a certain age who comes on this podcast probably has a Rocky uh, somewhere in there maybe, but uh Unless they're it, being more, more we've, we've had a we've had a lot of Rockies. Yeah, it's so, it's, a, it's a gorgeous film. Yeah. Um, I just you know I hate people bag on the. Uh, there's all that stuff about like, well, he didn't write the script, and it's like, oh, fuck off. I mean, it's just, yeah. I, I I believe he did, and um, I, it's a beautiful yeah, script too. I mean, some of the dialogue is yeah. just. Also, now that you have the benefit of having seen so many movies he's written, of course he wrote the script. You could, yeah. you could the Stallonisms are in there, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, it's just there, there, but it's that kind of first flush when you're, when you're sort of don't quite know what you're doing and you might be better than you'll ever be again, you know, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and it was so meaningful to him. It was like, yeah, exactly. It was, uh, just a perfect metaphor for his career and his story. And, you know, he, he went the distance, man. I, yeah, I, I love that film. I love that film. Well, now I'm going to go way to the other side. Awesome. Um, the first rated R movie I ever saw in a the movie theater was Blue Thunder. Oh! Starring Roy Scheider. Roy Scheider, Malcolm and, McDowell. And yeah, and, and you know, the, for me, the excitement of that was, first of all, I convinced my parents to let me go with a bunch of older guys. And I told them like, you know, it's just kind of action-y, but there's no sex in it and there's nothing you have to worry about is that. And then I go and like five minutes into the movie, they're spying on a naked woman doing calisthenics. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, oh, I'm going to get in trouble. Like, you know, but, uh, but also for me, like the, that is really the model for what became, I think in many ways, the straight to video action movie, like, mm. and, and I don't know the directorial terms for these or the DP terms for this, but it's the way they sort of like give a blue tint to the whole movie. And, and they, you know, they, you know, a lot of it takes place at night. It's that, that sort of neo-noirish thriller thing, but also the, the wet, wet streets and yeah. And like yeah. that whole look plus like, you know, the troubled cop and, 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 and the whole, the new technology and I don't know, just everything about that movie excited me. And I bet if I saw it, I've never seen it since. Oh, don't, don't, don't. I, I'm almost going to ruin it for you now. Cause I, have you ever rewritten a movie in your head without knowing you've done it? I'm sure. Yeah. A lot of times I'm like, where's that, where's that moment? It didn't look like that. Yeah. Cause I'm like, 
I remember the movie as being, yeah, yeah. so there's, there's Blue Thunder's this amazing helicopter yeah. and uh, state-of-the-art thing. And Roy Scheider's this, this yeah. yeah, burned out. Yeah, he's the perfect and Daniel, Daniel Stern is the rookie. You know. That's right. Yes, yes. And yeah. uh, and the, and Roy Scheider somehow is, is you know, put in charge of this state-of-the-art thing. And Malcolm McDowell is some kind of crazy yeah. bad guy terrorist. In my mind, because this is how the movie should end, yeah. uh, you can't, your hero can't outgun the bad guy. In my mind, I had rewritten it so that Malcolm McDowell had stolen Blue Thunder and Roy Scheider has to go up against him in a rickety old chopper and use his like grizzled old veteran skills to out. It's like, no, it's Roy Scheider <laughs> in this state-of-the-art killing machine against Malcolm McDowell in this rickety old helicopter. And, and, and both of them pulling a full 360. And doing insane things you can't do. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, you can't give the good guy the better gun. That doesn't work. And I had just, and yeah. I saw it again and I was like, and I also remember I, when I saw it again, I saw it on Laserdisc. And the first 45 minutes to an hour are great. And then literally for me, I flipped the disc and it all goes to hell. So it's like, just watch the first half of that movie and you'll be fine. But, but don't I'm, I'm terrified to see it again, but as a kid in the movie theater. Oh, know, yeah. This is the most exciting. And also the, because I'd never been to a rated R movie in the theater, it was like, stuff. I was a little scared. I'm like, stuff is going to happen in this movie. Like the filters are off. I'm going to see people get killed and things happen. And I was, I was scared. And I, it's been so long since I felt a feeling of fear in a movie theater. <laughs> I, just, I just remember that. Um, that's amazing but and did then, you get in trouble later with your parents no because they'd have had to see the movie right and, oh, oh and, i okay they were, my, my parents were not movie people so you know that was something they never actually fully understood about me is just how obsessed i was with movies but um it paid off so uh, yeah i think they get it now <laughs> i'm sure they're happy now. um the first um i i did martial arts from about uh, sixth grade uh until well into adulthood and uh the first martial arts movie I saw in a movie theater was Lone Wolf McQuaid, starring Chuck Norris. Chuck and Norris. I, I still would argue it's the best Chuck Norris movie ever made. Um, high bar, it, sir. That's a very high it, bar. It, it just, and, and again, it was like, you know, one of the older guys in my karate school took me to it. But like, you know, first of all, he's a, he's a Texas Ranger. So it's a precursor to all the stuff he did in the second half of his career. Mm. And he, you know, he drinks beer for breakfast and he lives in literally a garbage dump with a wolf that sleeps outside the door in case the lone wolf metaphor isn't strong enough <laughs> like, as a pet wolf. And, Only one. Yeah. And, uh, and then, and then the crazy thing is like the bad guy is David Carradine who, you know, no matter what people say, doesn't know Gung Fu and right. had a fight. And somehow they make it seem like this guy's a real threat to Chuck Norris. And, but at the same time, it's just like the whole, the whole Texas, the whole dirty Texas Ranger thing. And this guy, you know, Chuck Norris never looks like his face isn't totally covered in dirt and, and the fighting and, and just the whole formula of how a martial arts movie builds and works to that final showdown. Like, you know, all of that came out of that movie, but you know, it, that movie recently showed up again. It's on Amazon Prime now. And I, I watched it again and it mostly holds up. Really? It, it, it really does. Like, it's fun. The, the, the fighting is, is well choreographed. And he was always a sloppy, you know, Chuck Norris is not Bruce Lee, right? He's a very yeah. kind of sloppy fighter on screen, but it works. And, you know, he still had his hair, which would flip every time he spun and kicked. And, um, you know, and just like everywhere he walked, you knew. It, the amazing thing about those movies is you never question it. Like wherever he goes, somebody challenges him to a fight. And it's just right. like, you know, he's the sheriff. No one's going to attack the sheriff, but in, in, you know, he's a, he's a ranger. Sorry, not the sheriff, but in this movie, 
everywhere he goes, someone's putting on a karate demonstration in Texas in the eighties and then <laughs> right. they want, and they want to fight him. And, but uh, yeah, no, so I just, that's just one I love. And I think it definitely informed my perception of, of sort of the formula of martial arts films, which, you know, came in really handy when I was doing warrior and, right. and, and, and there is a real, I don't know who directed it. I don't, I don't. Steve Carver. He was, he was a, he's a Corman grad. Oh, I ah. was going to say that, that there is a real, it feels like a very, it doesn't feel like a cheap movie. It feels like a very well directed, well shot movie. And, and some of his later films don't have that, but th there's a certain, um, there's a certain outdoors beauty to it. And, and I don't know, I just, there, there's, I really do. I do like it when these movies have better production value than the, than their brothers mm -hmm. and sisters. And this one does. So, um, what was that? That was my number three. Um, uh, that, yeah, I can't remember the last time I, probably the first time I saw it was probably the last time I saw it. It's, um, he's, he's such an interesting figure to me, because uh, there's so many truly terrible Chuck Norris films, but uh, yeah, he just, he just uh, kept on going, man. Well, I think once you become a, a cottage industry, that's bound, that has to happen, happened to Stallone, it happened to him. It's just because if you're going to make that many movies, right? you know, they all can't be gems. Some of them are really almost unwatchable. Unless you're Steven Seagal. <laughs> my f i have i have the greatest story of a friend's experience that that to me is just the quintessential it's everything about the movie business and it, it, i don't even want to give away the ending but i sort of have already but uh a really good friend of mine steve bing when he was a 17 or 18 year old um went to see do you remember admiral stockdale the guy who ran with ross perot as his running mate the guy was wandering around the stage going, what am I doing here? And everyone sort of laughed at him. But he had been this I? like, what am I, why am I here? That's why am I here? Yeah. He had been this major war hero. He had done time, like really hard time in a POW camp in Vietnam. And um, Steve went off to see him as like a 17 year old and was really impressed with him. And in fact, I remember he, he told me, he asked him, uh, he met him afterwards and he said, if, if you could meet those guys who tortured you in the POW camp, what, what would you do to them? And he said, I'd shake their hands. They made me the man I am. And Steve was so taken, he went off and he wrote his first screenplay, which was a fictionalized account of this guy's experiences in a POW camp. And he set it up. I mean, he's like 18 years old when this happened. He set it up with some producers. Charlton Heston was attached to play the character, the lead character. And everything was going along. And then there's this long period of silence, as there often is. And he gets a call from the producers going, okay, yeah, um, we've, we've lost the money. Heston's out. Canon is going to produce it. <laughs> Colin Globus. Um, it's not Charlton Heston now. Missing an act. It's it's Chuck Norris, and you have to change all the dialogue to karate. <laughs> <laughs> but it got made. <laughs> but it got made. Yeah. And, and, and it was and actually missing in action two. Well, it was missing in action two. Right. They, really, then they had it. They had to make the the second one first because there was it some was so bad about them. It no, but so I thought there was also some issue about them stealing something. I don't know. There was some oh, they had to do that. But but yeah, but it, yes. So. <laughs> but I just left. We lost great... Charles Nassim. We got Chuck Norris. Changed the dialogue to karate. I'm like, that's the movie <laughs> business. That is that's the movie business in a nutshell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. So, um, a, a bunch of these are martial arts films, but they're sort of, not all, but they're, they're kind of the quintessential ones, um, for me anyway. And after that, it was, and this might be going a little too deep, um, Revenge, oh, of the, Revenge of the Ninja with Sho Kosugi. Oh, yeah. I don't know, yeah. if you're, are you familiar with that? Yes. So, yeah. that was when, like, he brought ninjas to the mainstream, and the first one was called Enter the Ninja, which I never, I didn't warm up to at all, but Revenge of the Ninja, which I think really was also the launch of the whole Golan Globus machine. Uh, Revenge of the Ninja was one of their first uh, big movies. Yeah. And that one was just like, you know, first of all, it was the first one I saw. And, and if you think about it, like it had a Japanese lead, um, which was so rare. You know, I had seen one or two Bruce Lee films at that point with a Chinese lead, but you know, those were clearly imports and Revenge of the Ninja was not an import. And it had a Japanese lead and the whole concept of this guy being a ninja in modern day, you know, with, with modern day training and, and, and the fight sequences in that movie are just, they, they were so much more elevated than what Chuck Norris was doing or, you know, the things that I had seen before. I mean, there, there's this scene where he and this other guy go into a park to interview all these thugs and they're sitting on a picnic table and he literally just kicks the picnic table in half to start the fight and they all go falling into the crack and, you know, and he wore like a Chinese star on his belt buckle, which he could throw. And then I you know, went to the Asian world of martial arts and Black Belt magazine and ordered myself a Chinese star belt buckle in case I ever needed to throw it at somebody. Right, so does it, <laughs> and it, did you get it? Did it come off? And you oh, yeah, yeah. They, they made all that stuff. Yeah, I had a weirdly large amount of Chinese stars of, of shuriken <laughs> in my uh, Chinese throwing stars, Japanese throwing stars. But yeah, no, the, uh, did you ever see the Asian world of martial arts? The, the uh, it was a Philadelphia-based uh, store, which is why I'm asking. Um, but oh. they advertised heavily in Black Belt Magazine, which was the karate magazine. And the two things that advertised the most in Black Belt Magazine were the Asian world of martial arts, where you could get nunchucks and bow steps and swords and butterfly knives and every possible martial arts weapon. And then the other thing was these Chuck Norris jeans which Chuck Norris sold, which had an extra gusset in the crotch so you could kick people in the head when you were wearing jeans. And, <laughs> and, and they advertised this with a full-page ad that had Chuck Norris throwing a high kick in blue jeans. And the idea was you could look like a Texas Ranger or you know whatever, cool in these blue jeans, but still kick people in the head. <laughs> and I never, to my credit, I never ordered the jeans, but I definitely ordered a lot from the Asian world of martial arts. And wow, they, they sold everything, and it was and it was a Philadelphia-based store. That sounds kind uh, of familiar. I wonder. I don't think I was ever yeah. there, but I saw, I remember reading like um, what was Marvel had? Uh, uh, they were doing um, oh god, was it Deadly Hands of Kung Fu? How long ago? This is like the seventies. They they did. There's a period there where they were doing black and white magazines, comics that were yeah. all they were all kind of R-rated though, and um, yeah, I think it was a spinoff of Master of uh, Master of Kung Fu. And um, Shang Chi, and I remember they had ads for them. And I remember, I remember I, that sounds right. Like going, oh wow, they're in my own town. Like, yeah, I never, I never like, went there. Or, there was, was like five pages of Asian world of martial arts in every magazine that you could fantastic. get any weapon. I mean, and they were real. Like, I had these Chinese stars. I'd throw them at the wall, and they would penetrate the wall. And you know, there was, a, wow. I had a weird collection of that stuff. Um, but that was notable, not just for that movie, which I loved. And, and, you know, it's very hard to find it to watch now. It doesn't exist in any streaming format. Oh, but, no. but the other thing is um, that really was, to me, the, the launch of the whole Golan Globus machine, which was responsible for some, you know, some great Stallone stuff, some, some Chuck Norris stuff, uh, 
the American Ninja franchise, which was never very good. Um, but, but Except somehow, for Ninja 3. No, uh, but you're talking about Ninja 3, The Domination. Ninja or, 3, The Domination. Well, yes. that, well, that's, no, that's, part of the, that's part of the show Kosugi uh, oh, Okay, but that was, yeah. Line. Yeah, but that was also, that's all Golan Globus. And, yeah, and yeah. Those guys, you know, owned a big chunk of my, uh, of my young childhood watching all those. My, my very first job, I don't know, was a PA on Masters of the Universe. Oh. Canon films. Yes. Lundgren. <laughs> yeah. By the way, one of the most prolific action uh, stars around, Dolph Lundgren, if you look at the amount of, that guy must make three movies a year for his whole life. Yeah. Um, and, and the quality levels have weirdly gotten worse. Like the production levels have gotten, uh, the production values have gotten worse as, as they've aged. But, uh, you know, some of the, some of his classics, I still can just, you know, remember like he did one called I Come in Peace where he. Oh yeah. I Live in Pieces. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, by the way, that was probably the entire pitch for the movie. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that. And uh, and by the way, one of my favorites also, which a lot of people haven't seen, is Showdown in Little Tokyo. Oh, sure, with Brandon Dolph Lee, London yeah. and Brandon Lee, and that was that was that was when Brandon Lee was first emerging as I think he would have been a really big star. But but that movie is hysterically absurd. Yeah. And yet it has great fight sequences and has, it has this weird homoerotic vibe between Brandon Lee and Dolph Lundgren. And, and I, there's a scene which I actually remember pulling up in a writer's room because nobody believed me where Brandon Lee compliments Dolph Lundgren's schlong because <laughs> he just stepped out of a hot tub <laughs> to beat some guys up. And I'm just like, what's happening in this movie? And, um, but Dolph, but anyway. Dolph is, I don't know if you've heard, if you're, Dolph is, I mean, this is knowing, he's very, very smart. And I very much yeah. in on all that. I'm sure, I'm sure that was probably him pushing for that kind of stuff because he's got a great sense of humor too. It was just so, um, it was so bizarrely out of nowhere. But, yeah. You know, but Have that's you ever really... seen my, my favorite weird Dolph out of the blue one. I think we talked about it when, when sales was on Joe is, is men of war. Mm hmm which is this strange straight to video action film from like, where is it? Uh, 1994 written by John sales. And wow. uh, yeah, he plays a leader of a group of mercenaries who go to take over oh, this yeah. Island for an oil. Yeah. Yeah. Company. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then he and then turns on. Yeah. 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 It's yes. I did see that. Shockingly good. Shockingly yeah. good film. Yeah. yeah I remember uh, that. Yeah. Kind of great. He's kind of great. Um, and, and just, he just keeps going. Like, yeah. you know, no, I mean, he's still making probably two or three a year. Yeah, yeah, um, and still looks great with his shirt off. Which that uh, that I mean, God knows how old he's got to be now. But well, he's really aged. Like even his face is like craggy, but still so structured. Like he still looks <laughs> like he looks like a total hero. Yeah, he looks fantastic. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah, I love him. <laughs> um, so then I have to mention after that, this was a big one for me, which is Enter the Dragon. Oh yes. Um, you know, and it, that's why it was so exciting for me so many years later to get to, you know, work with Shannon and Lee and, and take a Bruce Lee treatment and turn it into a TV show. But for me, the challenge was everyone talked about Enter the Dragon, but it was never in at the video store in my neighborhood. And so what was always in was Way of the Dragon, which mm. was also sometimes called, depending on the packaging, Return of the Dragon, which I, because I think they repackaged it after the success of Enter the Dragon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The Way of the Dragon is the one where Bruce Lee fights Chuck Norris in the Coliseum. Right. Um, and then he directed, I believe, right? Bruce Lee. Uh, yeah, possibly. Um, but, but the thing, I mean, even when he didn't direct them, he kind of directed 
the he yeah. did all the fights. The fights but yeah. um, I saw that movie so many times, and it was such and and the production value was so poor in it. the The dubbing wasn't synced. the The sound of the hits wasn't synced. Um, and I still just watched it over and over again, not caring that each each slapping sound was like half a second behind each hit. Right. <laughs> um, and um, but I kept watching that until finally one glorious day, I walked into the video store and they told me Enter the Dragon was there, and then. I got the tape and watched it and just, and that was when you finally saw just how incredible Bruce Lee was, because even though he looked great in, in, in way of the dragon and I had seen the big boss on, uh, on, you know, the, there was a Sunday night movie that used to be on channel five called the big apple movie. And I had seen the big boss in that, but watching him because enter the dragon finally has production value and it's well lit and it's, it's, it's better shot and it's well choreographed oh, yeah. and, and, the fights in there and the speed and the agility and, and the, and the total willingness to say, yes, he can beat up 30 guards at once, you know, which, which is, I think a forefather to all the stuff that, you know, Stallone and Schwarzenegger did down the road, like, Oh sure. We can shoot 86 people on our way. Sure. Like, yeah. With one um, clip. <laughs> yeah. One clip and, and, and a claymore. There's always a right. claymore. Oh, it's a claymore. Yes. So, yes. But, um, yeah. And that just, that made it, and also as a young martial arts student also, like once you saw Bruce Lee, you A, were constantly trying to be him and be constantly frustrated that you couldn't actually, your hips just didn't move like that. And you, you didn't have that lightness of, you know, he was a dancer, he was a fighter and, and to enter the dragon, you know, there's, that's a movie that's going to hold up forever. I think you just watch it and, and, and you see what he does in it. And it's just an exhibition. Um, yeah. Did you get that glorious uh, criterion set that came out a few months ago? No, but I should ask Shannon about every, it. But, every Bruce Lee movie on Blu-ray, all restored. Yeah, I, I've stopped having. I'm the opposite of you. I've stopped having physical, you know, physical movies. Um, oh, just the clutter. You know, you know. I'm I'm also a novelist, and I keep a lot of books. And and <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking at Joe's office there. Like, is that the organized version, or is that the stuff that still has to be organized? That's just a random bunch of stuff that doesn't fit with the other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. That's an insane amount. Right. So I'm, I had to, at some point, you know, not have that stuff anymore. Right. Um, so I've you gone, must, you must be married. Yes. yes. <laughs> and my wife hates clutter and, you know, so I keep, I keep a few keepsakes and just the other day I was actually, before we came out to LA, I'm in LA now, but we left, we left Connecticut last week and I pulled open my night table drawer and we've only been in this house in Connecticut. We bought it this year, so we haven't been in there that long. And I somehow came up with the Blu-ray of Braveheart. And I'm like, why is this in my drawer? Where did it even come from? I didn't even know I owned it. <laughs> and, and I couldn't bring myself to part with it. <laughs> like it just, and so I said, I'll go put this with the other Blu-rays, except I don't know where they are. Um, but but um, Well, I, I want to violate uh, one of our, one of our uh, you know, we're not supposed to talk about your work, um, but uh, it, it is something, my, my sense, and I suppose I should have just read something to find this out, but my sense is um, the, the pitch you guys worked off of for Warrior, that's the show that Lee was trying to sell that essentially got mongrelized into Kung Fu. So I'm going to be very careful with what I say here. Oh, okay. Bruce Lee lore has it, mm -hmm. and certainly the Bruce Lee family feels that the timing was incredibly suspicious that he spent a lot of time developing and pitching this uh, show <clears throat> to Warner Brothers. And they finally told him they weren't going to make it. And they, they, they said to him, they just didn't believe the world would embrace um, an Asian lead in, in a television show. And, you know, less than two years later, Kung Fu comes out with David Carradine playing a half 
uh, half Chinese uh, right. person. And so the timing is incredibly suspicious. Um, and, and Gung Fu and, and that stuff certainly wasn't being made in mainstream television anywhere at that point. Yeah. Um, however, you know, the creators of Kung Fu argue that they created a show that had nothing to do with this. And, and so I don't think I'm in a position to say 100% they, that Got Warner it. Brothers stole Bruce Lee's pitch. And, sure. So, but what I guess I'm saying is, that, but this is the one that, that that's the feeling. This, this is the show that yes. he was... So, so this is a version of that, but it, you know, this one was called The Warrior. And uh, he had a, about an eight-page treatment um, where he really isolated, and and I'm and I don't I get this a little fuzzy because I'm not sure exactly which was the show he was pitching, but he really isolated San Francisco Chinatown uh, and the time period in the 1800s, you know, where you know where the immigration was really strong, and and and, and uh, you know ever since the 1850s when they were coming into the gold rush, where immigration was really booming from China, and at the same time, you know, the systemic racism that that all the Chinese were facing in these Chinatowns that were forming. Um, was peaking and so he he knew the story he wanted to tell and and because he had developed this you know so many years ago his version of the of the gung fu hero of the show was different than what we ended up doing because there were there was no concept of an anti-hero back then right, right sure. like, so he was much more the, the the pure noble um gung fu warrior um coming to teach the lessons of gung fu to the in his travels um which is very much what the Carradine show became. Right. Um, and he had, he had come up with the character of Assam who became our lead character. And he had this notion of an Irish cop named big bill who we developed as oh, well. Okay. Um, and, and then, um, but, but it was all basically that kind of case of the week lesson of the week right. with, with Kung Fu. And, um, and then we just took that concept and, you know, did a lot of research and built out a whole world and made it much more, you know, I think, I think the spirit of what he wanted was there, which was to just, convey the notion that we are all, you know, we're all the same family under heaven, but that yeah. this racism that, that the Chinese were facing exists everywhere. And, you know, we went with that, but we, you know, we obviously had to make a contemporary show, which would have been yeah. a bit different than what he envisioned. No, that seems like a, seems I like think it. it's, I think it's become more contemporary than you even imagined. Yeah. Well, yeah, we, you know, even, even before we, we wrote, I wrote the pilot before Trump was president. And even then, just just Trump coming in and and the focus on immigration suddenly happening in a much bigger way, it felt you know very, very prescient. And then with what's happening now, which is just awful, it's it's a direct, the direct mirror of what was happening 150 years ago in America. And it just we I call the, progress in our country. Yeah, I I think you know in interviews I've just talked about the fact that th this is a country built by immigrants it's essentially a, con a country invented by immigrants built by immigrants and yet it has never managed to develop a a relationship with immigrants and and so it's a very complicated relationship with with yeah. the people that built like who who owns who whose country is this you know whenever the next wave of immigrants come the last wave of immigrants feels invaded and and this is something, you know, whether it was the Irish, you know, the Irish came in and then the Chinese came and replaced the Irish and then, you know, the Italians were coming in and it just becomes a game of, you know, the bad, the, someone's getting rich, follow the money, right? Someone's getting rich by continuing to bring in the cheap labor and that creates all sorts of economic strife, which ends up being social strife and xenophobia. And, and we're, we're no better off now than we were whenever that was, yeah. you know? Well, I love that. I mean, it was, it's a great aspect of the show and I'd be, Perfectly happy and, and admiring of you if it was your idea, but I love that it was in his initial thing to have the, the conflict with the Irish 
because that's such an interesting relationship between those two 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 communities at that time. Yeah, um, it's, yeah, he was he seemed very plugged into what the immigrants were going through, and and he was somebody who actually could break through, but he was very conscious right. of the fact that uh, you know that that this was a huge problem in the country, and he wanted to sort of shine a light on it, but in a very positive way. Like his whole thing was yeah. not to not to not to berate or chastise America, but to say, Hey, we're all, we're all in this together. Yeah. Like you know, he, he had a very positive approach to it, which is very evident in his notes as well. That's great. The weird thing is I understand that uh, there is a note in there that um, there had to be a part for Hoon Lee, which is strange because he had not been born at that point. But, <laughs> um, good God, what a perfect actor. That guy, yeah. That guy well, here. I put him in everything I do. I just, I, I he's, love working with him and I think he classes up everything and he makes all my dialogue sound smarter. So. Oh my God. He's amazing. Is he in the new yeah. show? He's in C. Yeah, I, I fantastic. Okay, yeah. all right, yeah. good. Then that that was that's yeah. that's really all I cared about. That's the whole reason yeah. to have you on. Yeah, I am. So. Um, I try not to work with Adam if I can avoid it. <laughs> yeah, he's um, he's absolutely amazing. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, well, cool, great. Um, so yeah, what's next? What's next is which also is probably predictable, but I'm lumping two together. It's First Blood, and then and then Rambo. So two very different movies. Right. Say. So yes. First Blood is actually, I think, across the board, a great film. Right. Very much so. Yeah. You know, critically speaking, it's a great film. It doesn't really pull punches. The hero is really kind of you know going off the rails. He's he's been triggered and and he's a he's a menace. Um, you're sympathetic to him, and at the same time, you know. He, he he's doing real damage. He's killing people. He's hurting people, and he needs to be taken down. And and so it's you find yourself rooting for someone who you know you shouldn't be rooting for. And at the same yeah. time, you know it, it's it's amazing. It's beautifully shot. It's wonderfully acted. The whole thing, you know, just you know, my own personal exception is I'm not a huge fan of of uh, Richard Crenshaw's performance in it. I feel that that takes a Brenna. little. Richard, yeah, Richard Crenshaw. Uh, I'm sorry, Richard, say again. Krenna. Oh, Richard Krenna, sorry, sorry. Um, Richard Krenna's performance, I feel like wherever the movie gets a little bit um, on the nose, it's in his little speeches. If you're sending that many people in there, you better have one thing, a good supply of body bags. Like, you know, some of that, you know, all his trailer moment lines, I yeah. feel, take me out I, a little bit. You know, bit. it's funny, I, I don't disagree. I've never really thought about it, but yeah, I, I, I yeah. And he's a great actor. So yeah, no, I've seen him in a lot of other stuff where he's great, but yeah. in this one, I feel they they fed him the sort of surrogate audience trailer moment lines, yeah. you know, because you're not going to give them to Stallone. He barely talks in the movie. Right. Um, and, and that's the one false note for me, but but the movie- It, it really does feel is, like the rest of every one of his sentences is dun, dun, dun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm not here to save him from you. you know, I'm, I'm here to save you from him. And, <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so but it's true. a beautiful it's a beautiful like visually it's a beautiful movie and and the action is fantastic and and Stallone commits in a way like you've just never seen him commit to that character and yeah. and you know everything. And he's it. so good too. Like, yeah, it just yeah, yeah. It, it, the whole thing just works on every level. So yeah. there's that, and then there's Rambo, which is none of that, <laughs> but just completely redefined the action movie. Um, and, and so for me, it's like, you know, Stallone had this habit, both with Rocky and Rambo, he'd create these incredible characters. And then as he went later in, in, into the sequels, he'd kind of, he'd sort of turn them more into symbols or 
in some ways cartoons and, and not yeah. necessarily, he, some of the humanity would leave in favor of the larger thematic excess. But, um, but Rambo, I was in high school when Rambo came out and I remember a friend of mine and I, we just needed to see it immediately. So we just made a plan that we're going to cut out after lunch and we're going to go, I went to high school in Queens. We're going to go, going to walk eight blocks to the Midway Theater on Queens Boulevard and we're going to watch this movie and it's going to be the best day ever. And we walk into the theater and literally half my school is there. And <laughs> to the point that I remember when we all walked back after the movie, there was no way to sneak back into school because there were like 50 of us. <laughs> and the principal was just standing by the door, writing down everybody's name who walked, who walked into the high school. But, um, but that movie was just, just you know, the, the one guy taking on the whole army um, and, and the super soldier and the guy who's almost a superhero yeah. in his ability, you know, he's learned to kill it. Like they made knowing how to kill so sexy and so cool. <laughs> and like, he's so, he's quiet and he's misunderstood and he doesn't want to leave prison to go do this, you know, but he's so good at it. And like, it's like the Michael Jordan of killing people. Right. <laughs> and, and, and just watching that and the inventive ways he kills people and, 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 that was, I think, Stallone at his absolute most cut also. Like he got in, he got in shape for that movie because that year he did that and Rocky Four, And, and I right. think- Yeah, he looks ridiculous in those movies. He just insane. was at his absolute yeah. cut, built best. And you just, it was, it was almost like an installation, right? It was almost like watching a piece of performance art, what this guy did to his body. And then he puts it into Vietnam and says, here, the body's coming to Vietnam to kill you all. And, you know, whatever it was, it just, I, I feel like there's no action movie that came after it that doesn't owe it some kind of debt. And, you know, there are those moments in my head where, where I felt at least from my perspective, the genre was redefined. And, and I, was, I think Rambo's one of them. Does Conan count? I'm trying to think of like when, you know, cause you know, I was watching something the other day where, you know, the lead actor takes off his shirt and, you know, he's in good shape, you know, something from 1950 or 1960, yeah. you know, like you look at a Burt Lancaster movie, right? Like Burt Lancaster was an amazing shape. He could do anything. Right. But he's just—he looks like a guy who's in shape, right? And well, the, like, when did bodybuilders like? Yeah, well, when you know, did to like, me, the first the first action hero with abs was Bruce Lee, right? I don't remember somebody before Bruce Lee who had—he was slim, who was yeah, but he was chiseled and like, yeah. and he just looked for every excuse to have a fight without his shirt, right? Right, like, right, that was right. the Bruce Lee thing. Which, um, and uh, it was funny because like in Enter the Dragon, his shirt, his sweatshirt gets ripped during the fight, and so then you have that moment where. He to pull it off because it's already ripped. And yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, his gesture as he pulls it off, even even pulling off his shirt was like ballet. And, oh, actually, uh, now I need I need to watch Enter the Dragon with my wife. Nancy has never seen it, and I really because there's a moment I won't give anything away, but in Warrior there is a fight where somebody scratches his chest and he's got that. There's so many nice little like if you're a, the show's great, but if you're like a Bruce Lee fan, you guys throw you have a lot hidden in there, everything, and there he is with the three scars on his chest, and I just start cracking up like a hyena and she's like what's so funny i was like i, I need to show you this movie <laughs> you, could, you also, could call them you could call them leaster eggs yeah. oh, <laughs> oh joe's been waiting for weeks to drag that. um but what's interesting you know because because uh uh it's terrible to correct our guests but when, when you were talking about rambo and you're like he's killing he only kills one like one person dies in first blood and the yeah, difference he cripples a bunch oh yeah no no he does terrible stuff but but the difference, you know, like that alone, when you think about yeah. the difference in film, because in Rambo, yeah. 
it's yeah. literally impossible to count how many people he kills. Well, but First Blood is a relatively realistic movie. And, right, and, yeah. And First Blood is a cartoon. Yeah. It's the guy he yeah. throws the rock at the helicopter and the guy falls out of the helicopter. That's the yeah. only real death. I, by the way, and he does get um, shot in the head and he, falls he out does, and he survives. He kills, he kills a dog. He kills a dog. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, yeah. Always but just pathetic. But the escalation, <laughs> and and I'll I'll uh, I hope but you know I mean, obviously I first blood is the one I go back to. I don't think of I've seen Rambo yeah you can't since. you can't watch Rambo. It, it would not hold up. Yeah, but yeah. But, but uh it's just it's just interesting how sort of testosterone fueled all those things became, um, and not just his movies, sort of everyone's, you know. Yeah, but but like I feel like I came of age just as though that new generation of action movies was coming of age. So like there were certain yeah. moments I go back to that always I feel changed it and like by the when when um when schwarzenegger came out with commando right which was a lot of fun but that was clearly like well now we can do this right like and i don't remember the timing of it i remember it being suspiciously close and it could be both were getting made at the same time but my feeling was rambo had come out and then we heard commando was coming out we're like really really like you know because to me you know schwarzenegger was you know conan Right. right and stallone was rambo and, and then schwarzenegger was trying to become rambo i don't know the dates of of all that but um but well schwarzenegger had been the terminator i think the, before rambo yeah, yeah 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 and and that was great but then for you know then it felt like he was just doing rambo oh actually yeah rambo um, and and commando came out the same year i'm actually commando holds up to repeat commando is like taking the 80s and um injecting it straight into your veins it's just <laughs> It's pure joy. It is yeah. pure joy. And in a way that there's something about Rambo that like, yeah, it's just a little. Well, the difference is Schwarzenegger yeah. is in on the joke. Yes. Stallone is dead serious. Yes. Like, yes. In, yes. In Rambo Stallone is dead serious that he's there to save America. And, yeah. and Schwarzenegger is just having a good time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Remember but I sorry like, when I told you yeah. to kill you last I lied. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the thing about Commander that always got it, it's the trick photography because he doesn't move very quickly, um, Schwarzenegger. Well, you can't. There's, if you're... <laughs> there's, there's all these people converging on him, and and you're like, oh, they're, they're about to get him, but he somehow always has time to turn around and punch somebody and do something, even though 10 of them would have been on top of him already. Right. right. Kind of allow for his lumbering, <laughs> his lumbering to work. Um, but, um, but after after first blood, I did have the Terminator on the list just because to me the, the, the Terminator has all the elements of a straight to video eighties movie, except that it's just so much better. Exactly. You know? Which by the way, I would I would argue the best way possible is sort of like, you know, when I watch Mahinchi. It's yeah. like is this well, is all that a celebration of that. Yeah, yeah. This is all that stuff just done done well. It's like you do this stuff well and you actually have a real movie and you have a real TV show. It's, um, yeah, I mean I mean our goal with Banshee was was to both celebrate and uh, to celebrate the B movies and and in some way elevate them, but but really to celebrate them. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But but the Terminator is just like, you know, I I don't have a lot to say about it. I've seen it many many times, and it just you know the synthesizer soundtrack and and this sort of unstoppable term. It was it was the perfect casting for Schwarzenegger, and and it's just just holds up as one of the. the and it really and it really is a B movie. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's it was, a B it was made movie. With, with B production values and a lot of a lot of resourcefulness and a lot, uh, a lot of Corman vets. Not not a really expensive picture, yeah. as yeah. opposed to the sequel, which is right. you know it's a yeah it's the Empire Strikes Back compared to the yeah the original. No, and also I by the way, the, the casting was Schwarzenegger's idea. You, you guys know, right? You, uh, Cameron Cameron wanted, um, uh, I think 
he he wanted him for um the the, the michael bean character i believe oh really and, and yeah guys I, I a good friend of mine was, was good friends with him in fact i think jim was staying on my friend's sofa at the time and he went off to have lunch and, and he basically said I'm, I'm going off to convince arnold that he doesn't want to be in my movie and Schwarzenegger sure. convinced him that he should be the terminator and you know, what was his plan for the Terminator? Sounds before like that? a no-brainer to me. I, I, I think it was just—I think the idea was it was supposed to be un—you know—like unimpressive, Less a sort of, yeah, like you wouldn't look like this big giant thing. You just, which is what he did in T two, right? T like, two, yeah. yeah, yep, yep. Um, no, but that, yeah, but you're right. It is a B movie, and, and even like it sounds like the score was made by one guy with a synthesizer in his yes, basement, right? Yep, and um, but you know, he still comes in and takes on fifty cops, and you know, it just you know all the Bon Mots and everything. It just it. It's just a piece of, of my youth that, you know, comes Ugh. up somehow in every writer's room pieces of sure. the Terminator come up. One of Harlan Ellison's favorites. And, uh, uh, that's... Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, you got a piece of that for many years. Um, um, so yeah. After that, I have, this is coming a little bit out of left field, but um, Highlander. Oh, yeah. And, and a lot of these have to do with, I think, where you are in your life when you see them. Sure. But... You know, Highlander, I saw by accident, some friends and I, we, we, we didn't have our driver's licenses yet. We, we shared cab fare to get out to the only sort of quasi-multiplex near where we lived. And I forgot what movie we had gone to see, but it was sold out. And the only thing not sold out was Highlander. And we had already paid for the cab fare to get out there and we had nothing else to do. So we said, okay, Sean Connery, that could be cool. We, we went in, we'd never That's heard of Spaniard. Christopher Lynch there. <laughs> Right. With who doesn't with a Scottish even, accent. Scottish accent, right? The Scottish Spaniard. But we went in there and like the movie opens up and there's like wrestling going on at Madison Square Garden and it's sort of hazily shot. And then you go into one of these parking complexes and there's a guy walking with uh Christopher Lambert's working with his trench coat. And then another yeah. guy steps out of the cars with a trench coat and then they both pull out swords and yes. start having a massive sword fight in a parking lot and uh, we were just like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know? And and then the movie never lets up. It just never lets up. And and it doesn't matter how badly written it is or how weird it is, or you know, that you know, the performances are kind of strange. It just it, it, these immortals fighting for the prize and and you know, all the the, the really great little uh, cinematic transitions from the past to the present, which is stuff I've I've knocked off from time to time on my TV shows where like, you know. You, you have uh, Christopher Lambert in, in the 1700s in a rowboat and then you go down below the water level and then the water becomes the fish tank and now you're in his office in present time looking through the fish tank and you know all those really fun transitions. And, and I mean, it's clear that the people who made that movie cared so much about it and loved it so much that even though it's hokey as hell, it just, I went back and watched it over and over again. I just, I loved everything about it. And, and, and just the tragic figure of a guy who has to live forever and, and, bury all his girlfriends and you know they're just i don't know I, I just find it to be really romantic and the action's pretty cool and it's just a very unexpected sort of throw out all the rules movie which which i just love there's always something about lambert that 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 throws me out i don't know what it is i mean yeah, i enjoyed the film but there's always he always seems um, he's a very strange leading man he can barely yeah. deliver his lines i mean i don't know what he's i don't know what he's like in french but in when he plays american or when he played when he's speaking in english very flat. Yeah, there's something, and then um, and he can't see apparently. Is that he's right? Got, he's got extreme myopia, and he can't wear contacts or anything. So, gosh, you have an incredible wealth of arcane knowledge. <laughs> <about> everybody, 
what do you know about me? Like, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, I don't, I don't know, but that, that one all struck me. I was like, that, that's Connery has hemorrhoids. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> He's got, uh, but I also thought it was kind of an interesting yeah. thing to make that guy an action hero. Cause, um, seems like you could get hurt if he's swinging a sword around and yeah he doesn't seem to also <laughs> that's, not a, that's not a particularly well-known movie these days what's that highlander, oh, no, I, yeah, highlander. I oh it's beloved. It's not a i don't think it has a big fan following well they're always, they're, oh, they're constantly so. trying to they're constantly trying to remake it yeah um like there's a prod there the project is alive for a highlander remake i i tr i briefly tracked it but you know decided not to try to get involved but yeah, it's uh, one of those things that's perpetually around you're always but, hearing about but you know they made a bunch of really bad sequels and they then they had did. but then there was a very <laughs> successful syndicated uh television TV show, show starring yeah. adrian paul uh shot in what's clearly you know the depths of canada but you yeah. know where he played duncan mcleod the, the cousin of Connor McLeod, oh, right, because they would bring Christopher Lambert. They even on got right Christopher Lambert yeah. there to sort of hand off, hand off to him, and uh, not not caring that it contradicts the entire premise of there can uh, be yeah. only one, <laughs> because now there's two. There can be only but, one, and his cousin. And, yeah, but but I think it, it. Yeah, I think the following has definitely fallen off, but I, I still it still holds a warm place in my heart, just because I, the audacity to do something that completely makes no sense and shoot it and nobody sat there on set while they were shooting it going this is never going to work like they yeah. just committed and they made it and you know i'm yeah. like you know i'm like the, i'm like the the jewish pessimist to everything i'm doing i'm going ah oh, they're never going to make this oh it's never going to work oh i can't i can't make that work and they sat there saying sure we're going to have sword fights in parking lots and guys who live forever and we're going to somehow get Sean Connery to buy into this and play a supporting a role in role. it. Yes. What's going on there? <laughs> yeah. And he came back for the stupid sequels too. That's it, right. Just, yeah. I don't know. He just, they must have had a sweet deal with him. Um, so then uh, I categorized another two together just because I'm, I was kind of interested in, in to me, there are the martial arts movies. Every time a good martial arts movie comes out, then you have to get through a few hundred bad ones. Oh, yeah. So somebody changes the game again. So to me, the two guys who changed the game, I think were right around the same time. But one was Bloodsport with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Mm -hmm. uh, because that brought a level of athleticism uh, to the martial arts movie that really hadn't been there since Bruce Lee. Right. Um, but the way he moved, the way he fought... Um, the 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 choreography and the production value of his fights and the total fun of blood sport i mean nothing he did after that was really that great um i kind of i have a soft spot for time cop but that's just because it combines all the things i love in one stupid movie you know time travel martial arts and mia sarah and it just it all kind of works but but um but blood sport was one of the ones for me that that uh that again show that there's hope for reinventing the martial arts movie and then right around the same time and I'm, I'm hazy about the years i should have looked this up steven seagal came out with above the law and again never made a movie as good as that but um above the law like we finally had a guy doing aikido mainstream mainstream aikido and his way of fighting and his way of taking people apart and because he was so tall also and at the time skinny like it it, it was almost like it, it just worked and it was it was really exciting to watch a different kind of martial arts movie in the mainstream so i kind of lumped those two together not because they're great movies but because i thought they were moments where um where the martial arts movie really uh got elevated and i i can't track a time that that happened again until much more recently when the raid came out mm, you guys sure, see yeah, the raid yeah. 
Oh God, yeah, yeah. So, so to me, you know, the raid is the godfather of the modern martial arts movie now. And um, and once again, you have this guy, you know, Iko Uwes, who 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 moves like no one else out there, you know, in terms of his his skill level and his ability, and then the choreography and the production and the intense production of that movie. I just don't know another, both of them, the raid and the raid Two. I think are, are like the two best martial arts movie in the last, you know, 20 years. Well, sure. Um, and then you cast, um, I'm sorry, it's blanking on his name. Joe I Taslam. Yeah. Joe yeah. Taslam. yeah from, from the raid Two. Yeah. Joe Taslam uh, doesn't get enough screen time in the raid Two, but he's Joe's phenomenal. He's so good. He's so he's, good. When he's on the screen on warrior, like, the, even the first day we brought him onto set, so we're really excited to get him. He's a big, you know, he's a very big star in Indonesia. He's 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 got constant movies getting made. But he had a relationship with Justin Lin from he did some he did a small uh, part on the Fast one of the Fast and Furious movies. Oh sure, because so, yeah, he, he loves so, us. So Justin called him, and I spent some time talking to him, and I actually created the character for him. Mm-hmm. And um, the amazing thing about him is when you meet him, he's like a teddy bear. He's a sweet guy, very humble, gives you a big goofy smile, gives you a hug. The minute the camera turns on, something happens to his face and he just becomes instantly like Clint Eastwood. Like he just, he instantly oozes charm and menace and poise yeah. and ballet. And, and he, was, he was really on our show, the only true um, person with martial arts experience. Mm. Everyone else we trained. Um, except for Dustin Gwynn, who had some, but, but, um, you know, watching him like do those fights and, and elevate everything, just every move he makes, like it was just, and, and because he didn't want to be tied up on the show because of his movie career, I had promised him I would kill him in season one. And then we were standing on set, we were filming like our fourth episode and I came up to him and I said, Joe, I need to know now because I, right now I've got you dying soon. And, and he just looked at me and said, please don't kill me. And he was just—he was just having a great time, and and so we we kept him on. But it had to be on his terms because he was walking away from, you know, a bunch of probably better-paying gigs to do it. But he just loved it. He's fantastic. And thank you for mentioning Dustin Gwynn because I'm I'm sitting there, I'm going, who is this Asian Charles Bronson? And you're like, oh my God, he's one of the pretty boys from uh, From Twenty One Jump Street. From Twenty One Jump Street. (laughs) Yeah, uh, yeah, he's he's amazing too. Yeah, he's had. He's another one that I was able to get to through Justin. Like Justin had relationships with all these guys, but you know, I was a fan of him on 21 Jump Street. And then he went off, he went back to Vietnam and he directed a lot of action mm-hmm. movies and, and movies in Vietnam. And he, he starred in a bunch and he directed a bunch. And he was really more interested in directing than acting. And, and I told him, I really want you on screen, but I promise you, if you come and act, you'll direct. And so you know, in season two, he directs our kind of Enter the Dragon episode. He directs the episode oh, on, great. Yeah. on the Mexican border with the big uh, fight tournament, yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. which was That's a great a- thing for him to direct. And, and just also the nicest guy. And yeah, it was great having Justin as an executive producer because I could get to all these guys really, really easily. Sure, um, sure. Yeah, it's a um, phenomenal cast. Holy shit. I mean, both your shows. Uh, God, God. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but that I think that was my list of ten. Um, I oh. just always give an honorable mention to Die Hard because how can you not? But uh, when you <laughs> when you're discussing the reinvention of action movies, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, Die Hard was another one I kind of saw by accident because I was working in a summer camp. I was a waiter, and we had a day off, and uh, it was raining, and there was nothing to do. And we looked in the newspaper, and in Monticello, which was the closest town with a movie theater up in the Cascals to where we were there was this thing called Die Hard and we didn't know what it was, but it was starring the guy from Moonlighting. And we're like, well, how good can that be? It's got the guy from Moonlighting. Right. 
And there was literally nothing else to do. And we went and we actually, that was when you could do this. We stayed for a second showing. Mm-hmm. And, and in the old days, that's what you would do, right? You yeah, absolutely, you for know, sure. You didn't know when you'd get to see it again. So we just said, you know, somebody, we ran out, we got more food from the snack bar and we just stayed for a second showing. Yeah. And, uh, and that, that's another one that just every movie after that was die hard on a train, die hard on a boat, die hard, you know, it was just mm-hmm. that redefined it again. And so I just had to mention that. Yeah, no, it's in fact, my friend uh, Dan Waters, who's been on the show, great screenwriter, uh, he, he talks about it all the time. But he went to see two movies that day. They went to see the Deadpool, uh, the Clint Eastwood, the, the no, Dirty Harry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and the then last see, gasp of Dirty Harry. And it's yeah. amazing because you, you go from Deadpool to Die Hard and you're literally just the watching love. The, the death of one thing and the birth yeah. of another in the same day. And they were very aware of that. That's amazing. Yeah, because that's really the last gasp of Dirty Harry. Oh, Deadpool. it's so, yeah, it just yeah. it just lays there like a fish and just. <laughs> <laughs> And then he just shoots the guy in cold blood at the end for almost no reason with a spear gun. And you're like, this is, uh, it's yeah, not my, they, it's they not were, my dirty hair. They were out of Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. Yes, Joe. man. I really appreciate you guys inviting me on. No, no, we, we loved having you. Yeah, it was a blast. Thank you so much for coming on, man. This was great. And gotcha. um, yeah. I feel like I'm going to have to call you guys now about all movie things because you seem to just know everything. <laughs> and we, we've, we've absorbed a lot of trivia. Yeah. Joe knows everything. Joe knows everything. Yeah. He's seen everything. I, mean, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen everything. Use your powers for good. Joe, you know what? You know what it is? I, I, I've noticed this for decades. It's like, you know, we all come here from somewhere else, or at least most of us. And, you know, I'm that guy who, like, in my little fish pond in Philadelphia as a kid, was like, oh, Josh knows everything about movies. And you come to L.A. and you're like, I know everything about movies. And then you start meeting people like, you know, like Joe. And uh, you're like, oh, shit, I don't know anything about movies. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh there's always a bigger fish that is for sure uh, but no it's it's been a blast thank you and then you're working on uh do you want to talk about where you're doing c now the yeah i'm doing c for uh apple plus it's a it's a futuristic apop it's an apocalypse uh apop- apocalyptic show it's it's futuristic but it really feels like the past because it's 500 years in the future but because of a virus the human race has been you know been blind for 500 years and 90 percent of them are gone so it's about you know, the surviving humans who've lived for 500 years without vision and what, what their world looks like I'm now. I mean, like Republicans. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I didn't create that show. I actually, that's the first time I've done this. I stepped in after the first season and I'm doing, we just wrapped season two last week. We, we shot, right. we've been shooting in COVID since September. And, uh, and now we're, we're, we have a one month break and then we have to go right to season three because uh, our, our, our lead actor has to go to do something else. So we got to get him all while we have him. This is, it's Jason um, Momoa, correct? Yeah. yeah. Yes. And he's the, he's the franchise and, and yep. it's, well, congratulations on work. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That, by the way, that's the thing, like having a job this year has been, been really a blessing. Yeah. So. For sure. I, well, great. Man. We'll look out for it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much guys. Our show was recorded from several well-stocked bunkers. We can't wait to get back to beautiful downtown Burbank. We're the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the Movies That Made. Stay safe out there, folks. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. 
Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.